Hey, good morning. How are you guys doing today? Well, hey, my name is Chris. I'm the uh, small groups pastor, and I get the opportunity to preach this morning. How did you guys, uh, any of you guys stay up till midnight? Hey, we got a, our, our chosen of midnight people. We've got a handful of them. How many did the New York New Year and just said, hey, you know, hey, that's great. Celebrate and go to bed. Um, anybody fall asleep before even the New York New Year and just said, hey, I crashed. You know, I tried to do that, and uh, I had some people try to convince me to stay, and so I, I thought I was going to celebrate New York New Year, say hello to a group of friends, and then go to bed, and I ended up staying until midnight. Someone parked right behind me. I couldn't even go until after midnight, and so, so here I am this morning, and uh, maybe a quarter cup of coffee, so we'll see how it goes. I do give everyone here permission that if anybody starts kind of slumping down, give them a nice little elbow, uh, and I'll try to keep things going and lively as we keep going this morning, but you know, I, I don't know about you, but you know, when you, I kind of thought about 2016, uh, it's been kind of one of those whirlwind types of years. I know uh, in the media, it's actually been kind of like, I think it's taken celebrities by storm when you hear of just some of the passing of some people's lives, and you kind of hear of all the crazy things that have happened in 2016, maybe in your own life. And I feel like that's where God kind of today is kind of talking to us a little bit about doing a little chiseling, right? You know, and I loved, I loved how in, in that illustration, there's pictures of what God does to us and, and how he constantly is working on us. And when he's not working on us, it's usually, I love how they put it, but it's sometimes it's because we're trying to take kind of control of our own lives. And there's times, and again, when I look at what I was kind of my life in review, you know, we haven't even been here in Tracy for a year and I was just kind of going, God, what are some of the things that you've been working on in my life? And I feel like he's been taking this hammer and this chisel into my own life. And he's been going saying, listen, I still have so much to work on you. And guess what? This year, I'm going to go and do a transition in a job. And he's going to kind of keep on working and saying, I'm going to teach you some new things about what you need to do and how you need to walk with me and trust me in those areas of issues. And one of the hardest things, and I don't know if it's been for you in this season, but it's also sometimes it's hard when you leave from one place to the next that you're saying goodbye to some good friends and you're saying, hey, all those relationships and the people that you've been praying with and praying for, and you take a step away and you're going, man, God, I miss them. And he continues, God continues to drive you and saying, hey, listen, do you love me? And do you trust me? in this new season. But one of the greatest things as he continues to chisel is he says, guess what? I have some new friends that I'm also going to introduce you to in this new year. And God has brought us some really cool friends and saying, listen, I'm going to chisel out some areas that maybe you can fit some new friends and some new people and new church family into your life as well. And then I think about some of the other transitions that God has put my family into where we kind of go all the way from this area of San Diego and you're going to go, we're going to go to Tracy and guess what? Moving from city to city, he's going to say, guess what? I'm going to take you out of the areas that you are most comfortable in and I'm going to put you into areas that I'm going to teach you by being uncomfortable and learning a new place and learning what smells of cows actually smell like at times <laughs> and lots of wind and lots of areas, you're going, hey, there's this little place called Tracy. But God says, hey, that's exactly where I want you to be at in this time. And some of the hardest parts also in this transition has been one of those areas where you kind of take your family and saying, guess what? I'm going to take your freshman daughter, and out of, out of high school, I'm going to put her into a brand new high school. And working on it with my family as well as he's chiseling and saying, we know that we, where we were at, and they knew all their friends but he had a new plan for them as well, and a new family, and saying, hey, where are we going to live? God continuing just working and saying, hey, trust me, I have the perfect place 
that I'm gonna have you lay your heads at in this new season and for your life. And one of the things that God got us through also this last year is my dad had prostate cancer, and guess what? Through surgery and constantly working out, that got my, my father was able to overcome that prostate cancer surgery and that he's now in remission. And I'm going, thank you, Lord, for getting us through those things. The other thing that he's been constantly chiseling, and I feel like this has been continually throughout the last few months, is unpacking. And I don't know if you've ever had to pack and unpack a house. As a matter of fact, I'm just going to keep on going here because there's just times where I feel like God is just saying, hey, guess what? It's time to pack and unpack. And there's, there's crazy things that we're starting to do as we're unpacking. We're actually, I think just two weeks ago, right before we kind of got into this Christmas break season, we finally looked at every single box. And it's crazy that there's just times where that we just kind of open them up and go, whoa, where did this come from? Oh, I didn't even know we had that. Or hey, I've been looking for that for the last 17 years, you know, as you keep on going. And one of the last things that God's been also working on is that seeing the Chargers lose to the Raiders the four straight times in two seasons. And I'm going, God, why me? Why put me in Raider town and also have me lose? I wanted to be like the lone Charger fan. Well, not alone, because I know there's a handful of you that are out here, but amongst a bunch of Raider fans and going, God, why me? And then, hey, then he goes, well, guess what? I'm going to have him play the Browns, a defeated team for 14 games until they play the Chargers. And guess what? Yeah, they lost to a defeated team. It really seems like God is putting us all sometimes into a Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 type of lifestyle where it basically says this, that we need to trust in the Lord. Think about that. We need to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not in our own understanding. And we also need to begin to acknowledge him. And here's the greatest part is that he's going to make your path straight. And there's times where God is continually chiseling in our lives. And guess what? You can kind of see the effects in the video where you kind of you get those moments where you feel like, this doesn't feel good. And there's times where I also feel like I want him to chisel around this midsection as well. And he's saying, hey, why don't you get out there and do something about that? But what happens is he's saying, listen, I'm working in areas of your life and continually doing that. A funny thing happened on the way this morning coming to church. Uh, my daughter, I think, has the only resolution to gain weight because she was 79 pounds and she, she wanted to get to 80 pounds because she realized that if she gets to 80 pounds that she can sit in the front seat of the car. <laughs> and when she gets to the front seat of the car, it was funny, she's there sitting there this morning and she, she helped me, she got the car started and she's sitting in the front. What are you doing in the front? She's like, look at the airbags are on and I'm going, what are you doing, mamas? And she's just so happy that she gained a pound over this holiday season <laughs> and that she's good in there. And so God puts us in so many different situations in our lives, but there's also times where he kind of sets in us a ton of questions. And you know, sometimes it's so easy in our lives where we can just say, just give me the answer so I can follow it. Just give it to me. Tell me exactly what I need to do. And that sometimes God just wants to slow us down and just ask us questions. Because when he starts asking us questions, what begins to happen is that we can't just give a quick response. We have to think about it. And if we try to give a quick response, that maybe he'll ask us another question. And so what we're going to be doing here this morning is we're going to be asking some questions. We're going to be asking some life-changing questions. As I've been praying and saying, God, what is it that we need to go into as we're entering into this new year? Is it that we need answers 
Or maybe we just need to ask some hard questions in our lives and see what he has in store. So let's go ahead and pray, and let's ask God as we begin to ask these questions. Well, Heavenly Father, God, I thank you, Lord, that this morning you have chosen each one of us to be alive. And God, what a privilege it is that we have this morning to be alive with you and to be alive together and to be in here. And that God, I pray that as we continue to look to you, Father, God, as we continue to figure out, God, how do we begin to just trust you with all of our heart, Father God. What does that actually mean, Father God? Lord, how is it that you want us to lean not on our own understanding because all of our lives, we only have a point of reference that is our own. And God, I pray that you would help us set ourselves aside this morning. And God, as we dive into your scriptures, Lord, I pray that you would just meet us here. And God, I just want to thank you in advance, Father God, that no matter what is in store for us this morning, that God, that you will help us ask some tough questions so that we can begin to start following you in the most healthiest way. And so, Father, we just lift all these things up to you now. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what we're going to be coming to this morning is that we're going to be reading out of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. And it's kind of cool because leading up to the moment that we're about to read, there's this really cool story. And again, this is not even what we're talking about, but I wanted to share with you because it kind of gives you a context of what is happening into these disciples' lives and exactly where they're at because Jesus is about to take them into an incredible journey. And what happens prior to the passage that we're really going to read, it happens in chapter 15 and actually verses kind of 29 and 30. It says, then he says, then he went up into the mountainside and sat down, and they're right near the Sea of Galilee. And it says, great crowds came to him, bringing him the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And here's the greatest thing of what people began to understand of who Jesus was. It said that they went ahead and they laid him at his feet. And here's one of the neatest parts. It says that he healed them. And there's something really important that we need to understand that as we begin to read Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20, is that we need to lay ourselves at Jesus' feet this morning, tomorrow, and the whole rest of our lives because what happens is, is that there are things that are consistently happening in our lives, transitions, hurts, pains, sorrows, and even joys, but we also have to learn that in everything we need to lay, lay all those things at his feet. And they're right there near the Sea of Galilee. And then we enter into this point here in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 and 20, where it says this. It says, now when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father, in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. 
Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. And what I want to do is I want to just stop for a moment. Is in the, right in the beginning of that passage, as I was studying this passage, there were some interesting things that I kind of looked up about the actual city or the region of Caesarea Philippi. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at that because it's important that Jesus basically takes him out of the Sea of Galilee and takes him about 25 miles north right up to the region of Caesarea Philippi. And it was, a Roman, it was a Roman city located kind of southwest of the base of Mount Hermon. And it was named after Caesar Augustus and built by Philip the Tetrarch. And what was interesting about this area is that it was also formerly known as Panaeus or Panaeus, named after the Greek god Pan. And this image looked like half man and half goat. And you can kind of see all these images that, that these people began to follow. And so what they would do is at this location, there would be this place called the, the, uh, the Grotto of Pan. And at the Grotto of Pan, there would be this natural spring that would come up from the ground. And they did not even know exactly what was, where it actually stopped. And so what they would do is that they would create human sacrifices, and in these human sacrifices, they would basically kill someone, throw them into the water, and then they would just sit there and wait. And if the body came back up, they would say that it was actually given back from the gods and they would not accept it. And they said that if the body came, if it just went away, they said, oh, the gods must have accepted our human sacrifice. Caesarea Philippi was also known for following multiple different gods. And what they do is they would begin to start chiseling into the mountains all these pictures of different gods. And so you would see all these statues inside the mountains. They would kind of say, hey, these are all the people that we follow. And as we're sitting here looking at that, and you can just picture now, you're in, the, in Caesarea Philippi, seeing all of these images, and now Jesus goes and he asks them as he's sitting there. Here's actually, actually and one other thing about Caesarea Philippi. It was also known for a place where no Jews would actually want to go through because why? You'd be afraid that you would maybe become one of those sacrifices as well. And so now you're picturing as you read just that little sentence in there when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi and he asks them that question. But the first question we are going to ask today is this. Are there areas in my life that I have been avoiding? Are there areas in my life that I have been avoiding? Why do I ask that question? Well, because what happens is, is that Jesus knew it was important to take his disciples from something they just saw so incredible, all these miracles beginning to happen, and then he takes them on this journey of 25 miles. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never taken a 25-mile journey in my life but I've gone on some five miles and I've gone on some 10 miles walks and runs and I've enjoyed some of those moments. But I would say that it probably took them at least, you know, if you're a fast walker, it probably gets you eight hours, but it probably may have taken either a full day or maybe a couple of days to arrive in those locations because they don't have the paved roads that we would have had to like now. And so what happens is he's taking them into that. He's taking them into places that are now going, well, wait a second, are we going? Like you can just kind of hear the disciples talking as they're walking, and Jesus is kind of having these conversations and going, hey, aren't we heading towards, are we heading towards Caesarea Philippi? Why would we go there? And Jesus 
now begins to take them into this location, making them feel uncomfortable, and maybe actually taking them to a place where they're saying, hey, my mom told me that I should never go into that location. But one of the greatest things that happens when we go and approach the places that maybe we've been avoiding is that you have to recognize that you are not going alone. You see that if you have a relationship with our Jesus, is that he takes you to the places where you are most scared to go. Maybe some of those places are physical, like, hey, I would never go into the Oakland Coliseum on a Charger game. Maybe for some of you guys, you're going, you know some of the streets, maybe here in Tracy, that I'm still learning going, oh, I would never go and set foot into that location. So maybe there's some physical places that you're afraid to go to, but what about sometimes the emotional places that we don't want to go to? You see, sometimes in the process of our unpacking, some of the things that we also discovered, we also discovered some of the things that we open up boxes and we look at and go, oh my goodness, God, this reminds me of the son that we lost. And you go through those emotional moments and there's times we were like, hey, let's just put it back in the box. Or do we take a moment and just recognize the season that God brought us through? Maybe some of the things that he teaches us in as he's going and he's walking with us, as he's telling us, maybe we need to approach these things and say, what are we avoiding mentally, emotionally? What are some of the things that we're afraid to go through spiritually and saying, God, there's no way that he could physically or spiritually use me because he doesn't recognize the things that I've done. Maybe he doesn't recognize the things that I feel. Maybe he doesn't recognize the things that I think about on a daily basis. How can God use me? And what happens is, is that God takes us on these journeys to places that we will sometimes not want to go our own. But I love the context now that we're sitting in Caesarea Philippi, and then he asks this question, who do people say the Son of Man is? And it's really interesting because he's probably saying it right in front of the wall of God's where you have all of these images. You have the images of Pan. You have Pan's Grotto. And here's something interesting. Pan's Grotto was also known as the gates of hell. And so he's sitting there and he asks them and saying, who do people say the son of man is? And if you remember from the study that Pastor Mike did on Daniel, you remember that he used in reference, hey, he saw the son of man and now all of a sudden he's, he's asking this question because now he's saying, well, wait a second. Out of all these things, who are people saying that I am? And his disciples kind of reply back a few different answers. One of them says, hey, you know, some people are saying that you are John the baptizer. Because all of a sudden Herod, the Tetrarch said that, that John the Baptist in, in verse, uh, Matthew chapter 14, verse 2, he said that John the Baptist, he was risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. And so some people thought, oh, he is John the Baptist, the baptizer. Baptist wasn't his last name, so he was the baptizer. Then all those, the disciples said, others say that you're Elijah. And in Malachi 4, 5, it says, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day the Lord comes. And so some people are thinking, well, wait a second. So maybe he's Elijah. And other people say that he was Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 1:10, it says, this is God speaking to Jeremiah and says, See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and to tear down and to destroy and to overthrow and to build and to plant. And so, so now all of a sudden the disciples are saying, People are confused of maybe who you are. And they say, Maybe some of the other prophets. And you can kind of go through some of the Old Testament greats and they're saying, Listen, there are people that are confused 
about who the Son of Man is. And what begins to happen is, is if you avoid knowing who the Son of Man is, you also avoid knowing why he has come. And I love what Jesus begins to do with this next question. And I think that if he had these tools right there with him, he'd be asking this question to each one of us this morning as well. And he's saying, well, hey, who do you say that I am? You see, sometimes it's much easier to ask the question, well, what are other people thinking who God is? And I bet you even right now in this season, we could probably say, oh, I could tell you. Some people say you don't even exist. Some people say that you hate. Some people say that if you follow you, you're a, you're a hater. And you hate people. And anybody who follows you hates. And then Jesus asks this very personal question, and he goes, well, who do you say that I am? And he asks this very personal thing to us as well this morning. And Peter's reply, I love this. In Matthew 16, 16, he says, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And in that moment, what Peter begins to do is he's now revealing something that God has just given him. What he's saying is, God, you are my rescuer. God, you are my redeemer. God, you are the person who I'm gonna say, Lord, and I'm gonna give you everything. You're the person that everything that we have been studying since we were kids, and everybody who's saying that there's this Messiah that he's coming, you are him. And what he does is he takes something that was, may have been a concept out there, and he personalizes it, and now he says, this is who I believe you are. And we arrive to our second life-changing question this morning. And it's this, does my faith in Jesus make a difference in my life? Does my faith in Jesus make a difference in my life? Now I'm gonna owe my daughters $5 each. So this is costing me 10 bucks this morning because remember anytime I share an illustration about my daughters, um, I have to pay them. And so this is, this is what sometimes pastors have to do in order to be able to talk about their children. So one of the things that I want us to talk a little bit about this morning is that when I, there's a thing that my daughters, we started probably just a few months ago, because we used to, there's certain questions that we used to ask, you know, we would actually kind of, we would first start with questions like, what were your ups and what were your downs in your life, your, this day today? And they would share their ups and they would share their downs and then we would be able to pray with them because what we felt like was that God was kind of drawing, when, when, when the seasons were really hard, when we lost our son, it was sometimes hard to start conversations. And so sometimes we just ask, what's your up? And sometimes it was like, there was no ups. And other times, hey, what was your downs? And they would say, oh, I, I, I miss brother. And we're like, yeah, we miss brother too. And then we would pray. Well, we've changed the question now, and at night we ask this question. How did you apply your faith today? And it's really interesting when you ask that question to a middle schooler, she's like, I don't know. You know and, and what begins to happen is it actually starts to refine how they begin to look at their lives. Because when they have a relationship with Jesus, when we have a relationship with Jesus, what we need to understand is that our faith is applied 
on a daily basis. Actually, not even a daily basis. I would say it's on an hour or maybe a moment or every, every second that there are things that we do that our faith does make a difference. And so what they would begin to start doing is they would start sharing with, well, hey, you know, we, they'd start recognizing, well, hey, you, uh, you know, she would go, well, I don't know what happened at school. I go, well, did you cheat on a paper? And she'd look at me, dad, I didn't cheat on a paper. You know, I look at my high school and she's like, I don't know. No, uh, no. So, so what happens, they would, they would say, I didn't do it. I go, well, guess what? Maybe your faith helped you make a decision not to cheat on a paper. Hey, did you, did you talk to anybody that you didn't know? Yeah. Well, maybe, hey, maybe what God is doing is he's stirring in you that maybe to have some conversations. And if you're an extrovert, that is like the coolest thing when you get to meet and talk to new people. If you're an introvert, that's like a punishment sometimes, right? If you're like, oh, I met someone new. I don't know. I don't want to talk to them. (laughs) But what begins to happen is that we start challenging our daughters. And my daughter, Kaylee, guess what? As she now is in this transition of being in a new city and in being in a new school, and we ask her, hey, how is your faith used? hey, you know, I was hanging out with some friends early on and I started realizing they were making fun of, of, of people who had relationships with Jesus. And so I decided that I wasn't gonna hang out with them anymore. And I'm going, man, God, first of all, that is hard to hear when your daughter has to make decisions of not hanging out with people when we've taken her away from everyone that she's known. But she's also using her faith to right now help build healthy relationships in her life. And knowing that maybe one day she'll go back to those friends and maybe introduce herself as a person who knows Jesus. And maybe they're going to go, wait, you know Jesus? That was something that when I came to my faith in my junior year in high school, as people started to hear that I gave my life to Christ, they're like, you, you, know, you know Jesus? And then I know it's kind of weird because you're going, uh, what did I do differently? And what I didn't realize is that when you have a relationship with God, God does begin to change you. But he also reveals to people saying, wow, maybe if he did it, what is it that in my life I can give to him as well? And so the question really is, is that does my faith make a difference in my life? So when Peter replied, God prepared him for a life change. And when he said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, it reminds me of Luke chapter one, verse 35, and it says that he will be called the son of God. And it may be now all of these passages are coming to people. And here's one of the neatest things that Jesus does after he replies. He tells and he turns to Peter and he says this, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and by blood, but by my father in heaven. Why is that so important? Because here's what happens now is what I think what happens is as he's bringing him into the area of Caesarea Philippi and he's showing him all of the distractions that people are following, all of the gods, all of the time it took to chisel out those statues, all the time it took to, st- to, to kind of chisel out all of those holes and put new gods in there and all the different idols, that he's, what he's saying is he was removing all of those distractions out of his disciples' lives. And when the distractions were gone, Peter was able to hear God very clearly. And that's why he told him, this was not given to you by flesh and blood, meaning that he did not learn this on his own. He did not learn it from some rabbi past. What he did was it was revealed to him by God because the distractions were gone. And from that moment on, he began to recognize. And even then, they still began to still figure out, is he really the Messiah? Because they would question it all the way up until Jesus' death and resurrection. 
And I guess the question for us this morning is just saying, hey, how is God revealing himself to you this morning? Are there the distractions still currently in our lives where we're just saying, it's hard to hear him. Maybe I should mute the football game. It's hard to hear him, but maybe I should remove the distractions of what I'm trying to do, whatever it is, that I need to begin to start hearing him in our lives. And the question God's always asking, who do you say that I am? Maybe through our actions. And he's saying, maybe there's certain things that we need to stop doing. Or maybe there's certain things that we need to start doing. Maybe he's actually saying, who do you say I am through the words that we use? And there's this passage in the gospel where it says that out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. And one of the greatest gauges of our lives is saying, hey, if the words that are coming out of my mouth that are so difficult, I go, where did that come from? Or, hey, that is not me. What the actual scriptures are teaching is saying out of the overflow of your heart, you begin to speak certain ways. And you have to start going, God, is that really me? And God starts going, if it isn't, he starts going, I'm gonna chisel that off of you. And maybe some of the things that we follow or maybe some of those areas could be through, and here's the scary part, it's sometimes through our inactions as well. Well, hey, I'm just not gonna do anything. And God is saying that through our inactions, he's also challenging us as well and saying, hey, do you realize that when you didn't do it, you were also not obeying what I want for you in your life? And so our lives are changed by our relationship with Jesus. And here's maybe the part of the passage where maybe most of you become familiar with because now Jesus does this. And he turns to Peter, and this is interesting, but he doesn't say, hey, Peter. He goes like this. He goes, you are Peter. And I want to picture this. You are Peter. And that word Peter is also Petros or Petros, meaning the word stone, or other people have used the word rock. And he says, you are the rock. You are the stone. But guess what? On this rock, and again, puts us in the picture in the context of Caesarea Philippi, and he goes, and on this rock, and he changes the word rock to being Petra, or a bedrock. And what he's referring to is now this big mound of rocks. On this rock, and he says this, in front of all the idols, in front of the wall of gods, I will build my what? My church. On this rock, I'm going to build my church. And you've heard it said, well, hey, it's not meaning and referencing that Peter now is going to become the pope and now he's going to be the leader of all the church. What he's saying is this. He's saying that, guess what? On this rock, this bed of rocks, I am going to build my church, meaning that he's gonna take us into the places that are following all of these different aisles, all the places that we've been trying to avoid, all the places that we're saying, hey, just stay away from him and we'll be okay. He's saying, no, on this rock and on every single rock, I am going to build my church. And he wasn't talking about building the temple. He was talking about building you this morning. I'm gonna build my people. And then he says this, and he says that the gates of Hades, where was he at? Right in front of the gate of hell. Will not overcome it. The gates of hell 
or not overcome it. And here's a great reminder here, church, is that no matter what we hear going into 2017, whether you feel like, hey, everything is falling apart, whether you feel like everything is collapsing, no matter what laws come into effect in 2017, no matter what laws have gone out in 2016, what he is saying this is that no matter where you go, I will build my church. No matter where you go this year, God will be with you. No matter what happens in your life, church, he will be with you and building his church, building, not building, building you this year. That's exciting. But he's also saying this, no matter what pain you're going to be going into this season, no matter what pain you've experienced last season, he's also saying, I I'm going to build my church with you. Now, I don't know about you, but there's times where I wish that God did not give me the pains and sorrows of losing a child. There are times that I wish that God would not have given me that privilege, and I do count it a privilege because I cannot tell you how many people he's introduced into my life who have lost children, and it hurts and it's painful. And then God reminds me, saying, the comfort that I brought you, you are now going to bring comfort to others. And so no matter what you're gonna go through in this season, God is going to build his church. And guess what? Not even the gates of Hades, not even the gates of hell are going to overcome it. And so if you feel overwhelmed this morning, my question is, is that are you allowing those distractions in your life to overwhelm you? Because God has already told us that there is nothing that is going to overcome you. There's nothing that is going to take you to a point where you cannot go because guess what? What you are are his bride. You are his church. And guess what? You are eternal. If you have a relationship with him, you are eternal. He overcame death and came back through the resurrection because he wanted to prove that there's nothing that he cannot do with you. Do you have that relationship with him? And it actually, this is, brings us to our last question, our last life-changing question here this morning, and that's this. Am I a part of building something that will last? Am I a part of building something that was, that will last. You see, what happens is, is Jesus is now reassuring to him, saying, guess what? You are Peter. You are a bunch of stones, and guess what? Together, we're gonna build this bedrock. We're gonna go ahead and build the church, and it's really cool because this is the first time that the church, that name church, Ecclesia, is the first time that it's being used, and it means that the assembly of his people, and that this morning, in 2017, his church is still meeting, no matter what persecutions have been going on, no matter what has happened in life, that he is still here. And then Jesus says, I'm gonna give you the keys to the kingdom. And as I could just imagine, like for us, you're like, oh, what, what is he giving me the keys for? You know, is it Bluetooth now? And what he's saying is, that, hey, 
He's telling them and he's reminding them, saying, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth, loose on earth will be loose in heaven. And what he's doing is he's giving them a term that he would typically, that, that rabbis would typically be used as being good stewards, that people would say, hey, what are some of the things that I'm supposed to do? And the rabbis would say, hey, these are the things that you're supposed to do. These are the things that are allowed in heaven. These are the things that are not allowed here on earth. And what he's saying, he's saying, the rabbis had stewardship of the people. And now what he's saying is now all of you have stewardship of your people. What are you doing to build on his church? What are the things that God is using us to be good stewards of? How does he begin to build it? And the first thing is, is that he starts with just this personal relationship with him. It starts with just this personal relationship with him. I know it seems something very hard or it seems sometimes very easy to say, but in this relationship, this is where God, we give him these tools to our life and saying, God, whatever it is that is not supposed to be there, I give you permission to chisel chisel it away. Are we giving him that permission? And when he begins to do that, this is what starts to happen. We start saying, I trust you. And he starts to build in us And here's the greatest thing. Are we building something that's going to last? You see, I know that right now, I'm in this constant kind of like remodel of my house. Like I'm saying, okay, I wanna do this, I wanna try this, I wanna try this. I went to the men's retreat and I'm trying to do this carpet ball thing in my garage because it was like a blast. I mean, we would waste hours just talking and saying, all it is pool balls going back and forth. But it was a time and a tool that I could hang out and talk with guys. I'm like, I wanna build this and I wanna build all these things. But guess what, eventually, unless some of the carpenters here actually build it, it's going to break down. My house, over 24 years old, and guess what? The plumbing's leaking. There's all these little things that need to be done. Things are kind of still ricky. The tiles are kind of off. And what, is it, what it's a reminder of us is saying, hey, if I'm investing all my time and only on this and not on his people, that I'm not building on something that will last because that house, no matter how old, is not going to last and the reason why he wants us to build into the people was because the people are eternal. We're either gonna be eternally spending time with him or eternally spending it without him. And the question is, is are we investing in the things that are eternal? And how do we begin to start investing in those things? And as you know, there's some things, and this is where I have this really cool slant that I have in my position And as a small group's pastor, one of the things that I really feel and I got to experience with my small group this semester was I had opportunities to be able to sit around 14 people, and there was always a 12. We always never had the full 14. But with those 12, we had an opportunity to sit down and talk and go over the sermons and just begin to do life together. And as we were beginning to start sharing, and don't worry, guys, I know whatever says in the group stays in the group, and we haven't made the agreement that I'll give them five bucks if I start talking about them, so I won't tell you who they are. But one of the greatest things began to happen was is that God began to put this group in our lives, and we started sharing stories. We shared our hurts. We shared some of the fun stuff. We did that one crazy game where you, you stick the, the, I don't know what they call it, but basically it's like a mouth guard in your mouth and you try to say crazy words and like we're saliva. Oh, I'm, see, I already got it. I got, <laughs> I'm thinking about it right now and I have saliva coming out of my mouth. I got to save that for next sermon. <laughs> and so what happens is this, is that as we're talking, 
but we're laughing. And guess what? There's seasons that, hey, when there's times when some of us weren't doing well, we would pray for them. When other people are doing well, guess what? We would say, hey, praise God. And we would start to build and invest in one another. The other ways that you can also do is you begin to start memorizing his word. In Psalm 119.11, it says that I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against God. And then when we begin to memorize the scriptures is that when we begin to stumble and we don't have maybe our Bible next to us, these scriptures come to memory and it's going, wow, God starts doing some great things through that side of it. Maybe for some of you guys, you learned and you grew the most because you became a small group facilitator and you began to start leading a group of people that maybe you thought you couldn't lead and God used you to bring glory to him. And now all of a sudden, we have, you know, our goal is to hit a thousand people in small groups and we're halfway there. And guess what? Halfway there is still not where we need to be at because if you are not in a small group, then our goal is still not done. Here's actually the greater mission as well. Until all of Tracy is in a small group, we will never be done. We will never be done. And actually, that's a great thing because it's God that is doing his building, not us. But what he is doing is that maybe for some of you, it's time to be challenged and say, you know, maybe it's time for me to be a small group facilitator, to help lead a small group. And maybe it's not that you're going off of the knowledge that you have, but maybe you're actually going and saying, I'm just gonna trust God and just start asking questions. And through those questions, God starts using all the experiences in the room during that time. Maybe for some of you, you're saying, hey, I still don't feel like I'm called to lead a group, but I'm willing to open up my home. And one of the greatest things is to actually be a home host where you just open up your house to a small group and say, you know, if somebody wants to come in, God has blessed us with this house, we'll totally use this house to bless people in the church or maybe outside the church, or I'm gonna invite my neighbors. And then you just basically open it up. And here's some of the exciting things I'm excited about coming into this year in 2017 that as he is beginning to build the church, some of the things that we're now beginning to incorporate into our small groups is there's things that we're asking all of our small groups to participate in is this, local missions. How is God going to use your group to connect with people outside of this building, outside of the sprung? When you go into your neighborhood, are you looking and going, oh, I definitely wouldn't want to talk to that person Oh, I've been trying to avoid that person this whole time. Oh, I definitely been trying to avoid this person. I don't want to do that. There was a person in my last neighborhood that we moved into where they would actually continually have fiestas, like total parties going into midnight, kind of like, you know, the house that I was at last night. It was crazy, but it happened every single like weekend and it would just keep on going. And then one day I started to build this relationship with my neighbor And what I began to start realizing is that the fiestas actually started to end around nine o'clock. And what they started saying, hey, how's it going? Como están? And I started having these conversations with them. And then in the end, we started realizing that through these building of the relationships, they started coming and checking out our events with the church. They would start being a participating in some of the things that we would do locally. And what we're doing right now is we're planning and working with different organizations. We're working with some schools right now, meeting with the principal next week and saying, hey, what can we do to serve your school? We're asking the city, hey, what are some of the buildings and what are some of the walls that we can start painting because there's full of graffiti and we want to work on something to beautify Tracy. We're working with local organizations and saying, hey, guess what? We want to partner with you because guess what? Southwinds wants to make a difference here locally in this community. But we're not stopping there. 
we're also beginning to start planning some trips and going, we're gonna take a missions trip and saying, how do we go abroad into Mexico and work with some orphans and kind of work with what God is beginning to do? And so you start, start seeing the church start serving one another. And what happens is when the church does it collectively, the gates of hell are not gonna overcome it. Why? Because no matter what we face, he is building in us and through us and with us. And he's not ever going to leave us alone. And the question is, is are you going to allow God to begin to start chiseling you so he can use you in this new year. And if you are, then be ready for a whirlwind. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for what you've done today. God, I thank you for the privilege of being able to be here this morning and to be able to share what you've been laying in my heart God, I thank you, Father God, that you have been chiseling areas of my life that you do not want there. And God, it's been painful at times. God, it's been lonely in other seasons. And God, you've also given me some of the greatest joys and reminders of why you are God and I am not. And so, Heavenly Father, I just want to pray for your church this morning, for this group of people, for this group of Petros, Lord, this bedrock of people that you have been building into. And God, I pray, Father, that we would choose to begin to work and to be loved by you, that we would allow you to be that chisel in our lives. That God, that as we were reminded by this morning, that there are distractions out there. We may even have walls of gods in our lives that you're saying, it's time to get rid of them. That there are things in our lives, Lord, that we have put as a priority over you. We have put relationships over you. We have put our careers over you. And God, I pray, Father God, that you would chisel those things away and remind us, Lord, that there are much greater things that are of eternal, lasting importance. And God, I thank you, Lord, that you reminded us this morning that the gates of hell will not overcome it. So no matter what we have faced, we trust in you. We lean not on our understanding. In all our ways, Lord, we acknowledge you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.